sometimes, you know, you play a sport and there's too much pretentiousness and then you take a ball in the face. It happens. This is what happens when you are a sports hipster. You are listening to episode 13 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. The podcast of two unqualified idiots talk rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline in a hastily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by The Concussion Protocol. We may or may not elaborate on that, but that's uh, the most appropriate way to start off this podcast. I'm Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is my co-host, Dave Turmel. Woo-woo. Should we mention that? Maybe we should mention that it's because I am in the concussion protocol, Carlos. Yes, yes. And you acquired this concussion protocol by playing the most barbarous of sports, the pretentious cross-country running. Sometimes, you know, you play a sport and there's too much pretentiousness, and then you take a ball in the face. It happens. This is what happens when you are a sports hipster. You're going to have to you're going to have to find a new path. At some point in this podcast, we may have a topic where we just try to figure out what Dave's new less dangerous thing is. Whatever it is, we'll probably just put him in a helmet. It's for his own good. Now, too bad you couldn't have retroactively used the concussion excuse because that could have explained our NHL playoff picks. Oh yeah. So, unfortunately, you can't use that one, but uh, we are going to talk about amongst other things, we'll talk about the NHL playoffs thus far. We on this podcast have a thing where we do lead off by saying we're idiots, but also while we will be happy to toot our own horn and beat, up, beat our chest when we're right, we're also not willing to shy away from when we're so, so very wrong. And there was so much wrongness this week, but we'll get into that in a moment. So we'll be talking about the NHL playoffs. That'll be one of our topics. We'll also talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs. I'm not even going to pretend to try to make any kind of a bracket for that. I, I stand back and uh, accept my own ignorance of it. I'll I, on the other way. hand did make a bracket there you go i'll chime in where i can and throw any thoughts that i might have on it as well i have watched a little bit of the games and i did watch that 31 point comeback from the la clippers that was it turned out to be a very interesting game so i'll talk a little bit about that and then kind of in the main topic so to speak there's really no main topic this week but uh kind of the other topic i'll talk about is tiger woods winning the masters i know that was last week last weekend but obviously we recorded the podcast before that and for some reason i neglected to bring up the masters and that's totally my bad because sunday i was all about the masters sunday especially with the way they formatted it we'll talk about that more a little bit later on and then we will have the return of the pretentious cross-country running report it won't just be making me making fun of dave fork getting concussed in said sport there is another topic that he wants to bring to the table so first off let's talk about a little nhl playoffs I, my, my initial thought is, how did we get Columbus and Tampa Bay so wrong? Tampa now, Bay I can accept. Tampa Bay I can live with. But the that was that was a big one. But I actually was more I was surprised and not. I was surprised at the New York Islanders winning. Not necessarily that they won, because I, I could see that. What blew me away was the sweep. The sweep is the thing that got me in both cases. No, fair enough. I mean, like, as I said, like, I did pick the New York Islanders to win that. Now, I don't remember how many games I picked. Obviously, it is on record. It is on tape because I gave a number for each series. I think I said six, six or seven anyway, for, for the New York Islanders. I did not see a sweep coming in that series at all. Now, I, and I sure as hell didn't see a sweep coming for the Columbus Blue Jackets. But they they outplayed Tampa Bay and they outschemed Tampa Bay. Now, I think as far as that series is concerned with the Tampa Bay one, uh, one of my colleagues at work brought up an excellent point because uh, it, it, given when we're talking about hockey playoffs in Canada, there's plenty of people who have no lack of opinions, but it's good sometimes to listen because I like to hear what they have to say. You know, sometimes they'll bring up some salient points. And I think my colleague in this case brought up a very salient point, And that is, where does Tampa really go from there? Because technically speaking, Tampa 
had great offensive players. They had a great goaltender. Theoretically, they should have been well composed, and they went a couple of rounds last year. So it's not like they had no playoff experience. At the end of the day, losing in this way in the first round is about the worst thing that could have possibly happened. It's it's almost it's very difficult to see. Like at that point, what do you do? You you basically have to almost not necessarily blow it up, but you have to actually fundamentally change something, and you have to change something on a sixty-two win team. Well, I think that's the thing too, right? That you bring up there, Carlos, is we had talked about this previously. Now, I believe they were only the third team to win that many games. Is that correct? They're the third team to win 60 games, the second right. team to win 62, and the other 62-win team also did not win the Stanley Cup. Sorry? The other 62-win team, the 95-96 Detroit Red Wings, also did not win the Stanley Cup. But they, did they get swept in the first round, though? I don't. They think definitely so. did not. I think they lost in the Stanley Cup Finals, I believe, to the New Jersey Devils. Which, you know, fair enough. I mean, you, they made it all that way. I mean, I would say this is the problem with Tampa Bay. It's a huge embarrassment uh, for the franchise. Doing that well in the regular season, winning the President's Trophy, President's Trophy curse, anyone? You, you know, you're expecting them to make, I mean, most people that I talked to had them in the Stanley Cup final. A lot of people had them in the Stanley Cup final. But you expect them to at least get out of the first round. And, and they didn't. And I felt one of the things that I found interesting was after game, I think it was during game two. I could be wrong, but I believe um, one, and I wish I remember the name of the players. I just saw it. I did watch this game. It was before the concussion. But the one player on Tampa Bay was chirping the player on Columbus, basically saying, hey, guys, remember what happened last year where Columbus was up again in the series and then ended up losing in the first round. Whereas this time they went all the way and swept them. And I felt it was almost like Tampa Bay just felt that, you know, eventually we're good enough. This will overcome this and didn't necessarily combat the way Columbus was playing them. Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, it was it was complacency. And it's hard to excuse it because there's really no reason for Tampa Bay to have been complacent. You're playing in the when you get to the NHL playoffs, all the teams are in the same boat because in the NHL, above all other you know professional sports, there's only two sport, two of the major professional sports that have 16 teams in the playoffs. You got the NBA and you've got the NHL. Well, in the NBA, the eight seed very, very, very rarely wins. In the NHL, it's totally in play because even an eight seed can have a hot goaltender. It really comes down to which team is willing to try harder. Upsets are fairly common in the NHL, but at the same time, it's it becomes an effort thing. So when you're Tampa Bay and you're down two games to nothing, three games to nothing, you, you're supposed to be going all out to try to win a game, to try to turn the momentum. And after game one, I think they were up three to nothing in game one before losing. And they lost uh, seven to three in the clinching game. That's extra embarrassing. It's a little, uh, it was a lot of empty net goals because they were desperate at the end of the game, but... That was kind of an exclamation point on it to have a touchdown put on you. Well, well yeah. I mean, it, this series wasn't a series where, well, it was really close and every game could have gone either way. No, like Columbus dominated the series. And and that, I think, is is surprising in itself, too, that, that Tampa Bay just had no answers. And, yeah, I think you're right. Like, they, they were complacent. You would hope that maybe after the first two games they'd be like, hey, we can't be complacent anymore. But I guess by that point, it was too late. Yeah, you really did expect an adjustment of some kind, and it just never came. Now, the other sweep was the Pittsburgh Penguins against the New York Islanders, which, again, the Islanders were, you know, they were a live underdog. That's not incredibly surprising in the sense that anything is possible in that scenario. 
But I think what was surprising, again, was the four-game sweep. Because Pittsburgh is an extremely talented and experienced team. You know, Sidney Crosby has three Stanley Cups. That team is that team is only a couple of years removed from winning back-to-back Stanley Cups. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of the dissolution and the end of an era for the Pittsburgh Penguins hockey to kind of bow out in this way to an upstart Islanders team. Good for the Islanders, but it, it was very surprising. Yeah, I was surprised too. I mean, I'm happy that the New York Islanders. Well, I'm sick of Pittsburgh. I'm sick of Pittsburgh in the playoffs. So I'm glad that they're out of it. Now, I'm also glad that since I picked New York, New York won. Uh, but I am quite surprised that it was a four-game sweep. I expected this one to go, again, as I said, six or seven games uh, and be a real dogfight. And, you know, some of the game, this was a little bit, I would say, closer series in terms of the way it was played than the Tampa Bay-Columbus um, series. But still, right, the level of dominance that New York ended up having was quite surprising. Very much so. It'll be interesting to see kind of how that translates into the next series. But for now, to, you know, basically Columbus themselves blew up tons of playoff brackets. I can imagine that a lot of people were not expecting it. The Islanders one, I'm sure, blew up a couple. But I'm sure some people could have picked the Islanders without too much issue. You did yourself. That was less surprising than the than the Columbus because I don't oh, think so sure. many people went for that. Now, the other aspect of it is that looking at the other side, so none of the other series are complete as of yet. The Capitals and the Hurricanes are tied at two. The Leafs and the Bruins are tied at two. We're going to have some games tonight as well. And then, of course, more games on Saturday, and we'll keep going as uh, as we wind down the first round. Uh, Dallas and Nashville are tied up at two games apiece, so that series is actually going quite nicely. St. And Louis- that's proven to be a really like a really good defensive series, minus the, the most recent game where Pekka Rene got chased after conceding four goals on eight shots. You know, that series has been really tight defensively and has been has been quite entertaining. I think almost all the other first round matchups have been quite good, actually, because it's been a little bit of back and forth. Nobody else is really dominating. St. Louis is right now a little bit ahead of Winnipeg, three games to two, but Winnipeg could very easily come back. The the other surprise well, and every, isn't it isn't it that series each the road teams won every game? I believe that's right. Yeah. So it's been that kind of series, which can happen. I think the only other surprising one right now, and obviously the series isn't over is that over in the West, Colorado is up three games to one on Calgary. Yeah, which I think is is interesting because, you know, we both picked Calgary to go further, and they still may. But a lot of people were predicting that, that Calgary is going to have issues in the playoffs, which seem to be coming to pass right now. Uh, but that's the team that won the Western Conference, right? They're the number one seed. I mean, I know they don't necessarily go by seed in terms of that, but they were the best team record-wise in the Western Conference. And... They sure aren't playing like it right now. Well, that's just it. The The goaltending was supposed to be their Achilles heel. And the expectation, for I think for a lot of people, was that it would eventually be their undoing. But it wasn't expected to be their undoing in the first round. Especially since Colorado kind of had to squeak into the playoffs. That's really what it comes down to. But it goes back to what I was saying earlier. In hockey, more so than a lot of other sports. Now, football has a little bit of that as well because it's a one and done. You know, if you get all the pieces together in one game. But in a seven-game series... In hockey, the upset can happen when the other team is just realizes its situation and decides to play above its head. There, this none of none of these upsets are really at like the highest level, but a lot of them get into the debate. You know, the Columbus beating Tampa Bay that was a big upset, but then it was funny because on Sportsnet they did an article about that upset. But when they with the comparison they decided to use, which was an interesting one for me, 
was they tried to compare it to the 1991 Minnesota North Stars beating the Chicago Blackhawks. Because I don't know if you're aware that the Minnesota North Stars that went to the Stanley Cup final that year, so that was early on in Medano's career, I think it was his second season. In that early part of their career, his career, that team went to the Stanley Cup finals and eventually lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins in six games. But the Chicago Blackhawks were easily the best team that year, the, the way they had been playing. But at the same time, the, the reason why the upset was so staggering was that I believe, I don't have the number in front of me, but I think the Minnesota North Stars had 57 points to get into the playoffs that year. Oh, wow. So that was in the days where you had some truly garbage teams that, were got, that got in there because you had so many playoff spots. The Minnesota North Stars had no business being in the playoffs, let alone beating a 106 or 107 point team in the first round. That's crazy. But stuff like that happens. The point, the reason that's why I say like in hockey, stuff like that can happen. There was a team of, uh, there was a Leafs team in the 80s that got there with like 56 points. Like it, it was pathetically bad. They were nowhere close to 500. That's when you could still have the ties and the record was still staggeringly bad. But they got to the playoffs. And as long as you can get to the playoffs, you can always win a series. You can steal one. You never know it, th if things fall into place. And for Minnesota, that 57-point team got all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. No, I mean, and there are numerous, not necessarily quoting that one, but there are numerous examples of the eighth seed making the Stanley Cup, right? I mean, anything can happen. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes the NHL playoffs fairly interesting is, is that, you know, there's some, even the teams you think are locks to go through aren't necessarily so. That's exactly right. So that's really what it comes down to. A lot of people have to bear that in mind is that you try your best when it comes to when it comes to making these brackets, you do your best to try to be logical about it. We admitted right off the top, I have not watched enough NHL games. Now probably now the truth is if I had watched the NHL regular season, I still don't think I would have picked Columbus to beat Tampa Bay in the first round. Like there's I don't think there's anything I could have seen leading up to that first round matchup that would have made me pick Columbus. One thing I did I did think though when I was watching this is I mean Columbus was you know right in it to the end as as opposed to whether they're going to make the playoffs or not right Montreal was there and I honestly feel that Columbus okay they sweat if it had been Montreal Montreal would not have won that series no way no how right so good on Columbus that's fair. And the last series that we'll talk about here briefly, I don't really want to talk about Toronto and Boston yet because I don't really have much of a feel for that series. It's been a little bit back and forth. But the other one that um, right now is moving into, you know, elimination game territory now, the Vegas Golden Knights are up three games to do against the San Jose Sharks. We both pick San Jose, but the reality is, you know, Vegas was in the Stanley Cup final last year. They're still a good team. Anything can happen still. We can go to seven games. It's hard to tell. And if you go to seven games, you know, it becomes a coin flip. You really don't know what's going to happen. Vegas could close it out and finish it off. We're going to have to kind of see how that one plays out. But regardless, the West is kind of playing. The West is looking kind of interesting because it's still in flux. There's a lot of pieces that can go into place. And the East right now, we've got half of our teams figured out. But now it's about figuring out what happens with uh, with Washington and some combination of Boston or Toronto. Carolina could certainly get there. But I, I, I still think that Washington should have enough firepower to be able to get past that first round matchup. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. So that would be my expectation. And then obviously we'll take it round by round. We'll talk about it a little more once we get to the next round in the conference finals. And then, of course, Stanley Cup finals. You know, our CRTC uh, requirement will be met. We will still talk about this as we go forward. So that's good on that. I think that's uh, any other closing thoughts on this uh, first round so far? 
No, uh, but actually, can I can I use the uh, a segue from this to the pretentious cross country running report because they both play into each other? The pretentious cross country running report with Dave Turnbull. Now we had just finished talking about the Toronto Boston series, and one of the things you may or may not have noticed: the Toronto lost Game Four to Boston, and who happened to be in attendance in Toronto wearing a Leafs jersey? But Drake. Drake. I was wondering of, if you would bring up Drake. It seems well, appropriate. Go. Drake of the Drake curse, right? Meaning that Drake shows up with a player or Drake takes a picture of him in a jersey of whatever team. And next thing you know, that team loses or the team's bounced from a playoff or whatever. So he was there wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey and Toronto lost. Uh, this has gone on so much so that I don't know if you remember... But for the uh, NFC and the AFC championship games, he wore a sweatshirt that had the logo of all four teams playing. He may as well start just doing that for every sport because the guy just doesn't know how to pick them. I'll be honest with you. If I'm Drake, like, do you really want to make a big deal of the fact you're going to these sporting events given that all the teams you're supporting keep losing? It's getting well, kind of sad. I think it's partly like if you're Drake, like just pick a team and stick with it. And it is what it is. But now you're probably wondering, well, how does this play into soccer? Like, where is the link? Well, I'll tell you this. And this, I thought, was so hilarious. So, um, AS Roma, okay, the one of the two teams in Rome, Italy, right, that play in Serie A in Italy, in the Italian League, put out a tweet on its English Twitter feed, okay? So, a lot of these, a lot of teams that are considered themselves big teams around the world will have a, a, a Twitter feed in English as well. And they have said, all players on the team are banned from taking pictures with Drake. I love that that's standardized policy. I think that's a, I think it's a fairly reasonable and rational thing to do. So that's my pretentious cross-virtue running for this week is to say that I think it's hilarious that now a team in, in Rome, Italy, which really doesn't have anything to do with Drake, really, has said, you know what, guys, we've seen this. And I mean, there's talk about no one has said it's a joke, right? The team hasn't come out and said, ah, oh, we were just kidding. You know, people are taking it as being in jest. But they put out the tweet and said, listen, guys, stay away from Drake. Uh, and, and, I mean, Ro Roma isn't in the position to win the league. Um, they're out of the cup competition. But I still think it's kind of funny that, that, that they would put this out there. So I, I enjoyed that. That gave me a chuckle this week. And, you know, there is some something to be said for it. But the other thing is, you know, Drake's taking pictures. Everybody wants a picture with Drake, apparently. And he's taking pictures of everybody. And then he's wearing things. And we know he is a global ambassador if they will for the raptors and that really hasn't seemed to hurt the raptors per se in fairness so, they haven't won anything true but i you know they weren't winning things before drake was associated with the team and since drake did become associated with the team you know i believe they've been a playoff team every year since that happened uh, that's fair i think maybe the the approach if you're drake maybe the correct move for you is to start supporting teams that are already genuinely terrible then you really like you got nowhere to go but up realistically that's true drake i believe the chicago white Sox are looking for somebody you may as well like i i see if you're a chicago white Sox fan you you know we'll refer back to the, the statement it's like it can't get any worse maybe if drake supports you zero in 162 that's no longer in play this season but you never know but it could be next year there's always a chance there is a chance that's fair so that is a that is a worthy pretentious cross country report uh, for this week, Dave. Well played, well played.
Thank you. Yeah, you know, if you're going to bring that kind of content, just let me know. I'm happy to kick a soccer ball at your face. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about a different size ball now. Let's go to golf. Let's give. No, no, the, I think uh, I do you we... want to talk about the NBA playoffs first. You want? Well, if you want, okay, I'll give you my bracket if you want. Yeah. So let, let's make something clear. We've already established. I, I'm, I'm going to give my disclaimer one more time. We've already established. We genuinely don't know anything about some of these sports. And where that is the case, we still have opinions. They're not as informed opinions. Remember, the NHL bracket, let's just refer back to it. Mind you, in our defense, that NHL bracket, some of those things that happened, I don't think anybody really predicted. So let's just be fair about that. But second, I am going to mostly disavow myself. I'm not going to give an NBA bracket because I, I'm disqualifying myself for lack of knowledge my ignor- in my ignorance. I am watching some of the games, though, and I'll chime in some thoughts where I have. But Dave wants to give a bracket a shot. Why not? Go for it. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this by saying this is the bracket that I would have given at the beginning of the playoffs regardless. So I know, obviously, some series are – well, all the series are going on. Some are up to one. You know, some teams are really dominating, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not going to give my bracket with that in mind. This is, this, this is what it would be at the beginning. So do you want to start in the East or the West, Carlos? I'm not picky. Go for it. Whatever direction you want to start. All right. So we'll start with the East. So for those of you who may not know, uh, the NBA playoff bracket is different from the NHL one in the sense that NBAs are seeded. And so the highest seed will always play the lowest remaining seed. For the first round in the East, you have number one, Milwaukee, playing number eight, Detroit. And I pick Milwaukee to win that one. And I'd say Milwaukee in four because Milwaukee's looking dominant. Detroit has... Unless they're playing Toronto, has not looked that good. In the second series, you have number two, Toronto, playing number seven, Orlando. And I like Toronto in this in six games. Uh, you know, I feel Orlando's going to probably win at least two. Uh, now, they've already won game one. The series is tied 1-1 right now. But I just think Toronto is a better team overall and is going to win that. Uh, and the same thing I would say for Philly and Brooklyn. I'll go six there for Philly. Again, I think Philly's just better. Uh, and then your last series is number four, Boston, against number five, Indiana. I like Boston in there. So that's me taking the top four seeds in the top seed in each series. And I like Boston. Again, I just think they're they're better. And I'm going to take Boston in five in that one. Uh, so that would set up second round matchup of Milwaukee versus Boston. So that's number one versus number four. And Toronto versus Philly, number two versus number three. From on that, I still like the higher seeds to go through. I picked Milwaukee to beat Boston. I just think they're too well put together. I'll take that in six games. And Toronto versus Philly. Again, Philly's up and coming, but I don't think they're at Toronto's level yet. Therefore, I'm going to take Toronto in seven games in that series, setting up a Milwaukee versus Toronto Eastern final. And I'll stop there for your comments, and then I'll do the West before I give you my uh, NBA finals. So what? any comments on the East there, Carlos? I think for the most part, a lot of those matchups make sense. This season, from everything I've watched and observed, like I said, I'm more of a casual NBA viewer. But when I watch the Talking Head shows and I listen to them do their breakdowns, this really needs to be a coming out party for Milwaukee. But getting to that point right now is like the bare minimum. They need to get to the conference finals, I think, in order to kind of justify the ascension of Giannis because that's... He's supposed to be the next guy. And if he's going to be the next guy, he's got to be the next guy in the playoffs. He was an MVP contender throughout the season. I think that's probably going to be James Harden, but it's going to be hard to tell, you know. But if you're going to be a contender for that, you know, echelon, you got to then also show it in the playoffs as well. And in the East right now, the LeBron-less East 
it's it's op- it's more open than it's ever been. This is a great opportunity for Toronto to get to that spot right there. I feel like for them that should be the bare minimum. The one advantage they all have is that Boston was supposed to be the 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 biggest beneficiary of LeBron moving out of the East was supposed to be Boston with everything they showed last season without Kyrie Irving. But obviously this this season really hasn't come together. I think this season more than any other in the NBA when I look at it the chemistry is so important. Having talent is huge, but the chemistry between the players is a huge thing that is playing into a lot of these series and the way a lot of these things going. Because a lot of these players really are, are a very sensitive lot. Uh, that's kind of why I like Giannis's approach in the sense that he's kind of mostly been focused on basketball, which is beneficial. I just don't know if they have the talent necessarily top to bottom. But in the East, if they get to the conference finals, I think that's that's well in play. So I like a lot of uh, a lot of it makes sense. I think in basketball, taking the higher seed is not necess- is usually a pretty good play. Okay, so on to the West then. Go to the West. Okay. I got more thoughts on the West. That's a little more interesting for me. But go on. All right. So uh, we have number one Golden State versus number one. Uh, sorry, number eight the L.A. Clippers, uh, which actually I think is a good matchup. And I, I Golden State, I don't feel what they. I don't feel that they are what they once were. I think they're a little bit on the decline, but I'm still picking them to to win that series. Uh, number two, Denver versus number seven, San Antonio Spurs. I'm actually going to pick the upset here. I I like the San Antonio Spurs and what they're doing. So I'm going to pick them. And then you have number three, Portland versus number six, OKC. I like Portland there. And then number four, Houston versus number five, Utah. I think the James Harden factor is enough there just on its own to take Houston over Utah. So that sets up second round matches of Golden State versus San Antonio and Portland versus Houston. Uh, I still think that Golden State's better than San Antonio overall and especially over uh, a series. So I'll take Golden State in six there. And then Portland versus Houston. I like Houston in six as well. So setting up a Western Conference Finals matchup of Golden State versus Houston. Okay. I think that would be very compelling. Um, I was trying to, I haven't, I don't have the bracket in front of me. Obviously you do. What scenario requires, um, the way the seeds are set up, what scenario requires Houston to be in the second round against Golden State? Uh, that Denver and Port- Denver would have to win as well. Oh, right. So okay. Golden that- State would have to win, Denver would have to win, and Portland would have to win. Got and then it. it would be yeah, Golden yeah. State. Yeah, because I think a lot of the match, a lot of the uh, prognosticators, I think a lot of them were looking at Denver winning, and therefore, the San Antonio pick's not a bad one. The San Antonio is an extremely well-coached team. Popovich knows what he's doing, and he's got his guys playing very well at a very high level. Denver is kind of a wishy-washy number two. They're good. There's nothing wrong with them, per se, but I don't know if they're situated well. I think, though, the decline that you were talking about with Golden State, I don't think it's so much a decline. I think talent-wise, they're fine. I would say that that team chemistry is kind of busted in the sense that Kevin Durant's kind of wimpiness really uh, has been playing into the way this season has gone. Talent-wise, they are still as strong as they've ever been. Let's put it this way. If they were strictly playing on talent and they were all on the same page actually trying to do what they claim they're trying to do and actually trying to get that three-peat, there is no reason they shouldn't just cruise to the to the NBA final and win because talent-wise, that team still has that capability. It really does feel like Kevin Durant is on his way out and it kind of perceives himself that way and he really has a knack for losing focus now what i would say is um i did get a chance to see the la clippers versus uh golden state in game two now in game three they came back and basically crushed the clippers but in game two the clippers came back from 31 points down 
and that was kind of a testament to their resiliency, which I was very well, impressed that's with. Huge. That's a huge deficit to overcome in a regular season game, let alone a playoff game. It was a. Re- it's a record comeback. It, it's. I don't. There. There hasn't been a higher comeback. The reality is that Golden State is a superior team. Patrick Beverly is not a good enough player to be able to hold down Kevin Durant if he's focused on what he's doing. In that game, he was able to really pester Kevin Durant. And the thing the thing to keep an eye on, obviously, from, from my perspective, I shouldn't say obviously because that's not true. From my perspective, the thing to keep an eye on is even though obviously Golden State came back and beat up on you know the, the Clippers in game three, the blueprint is out there. Any team that plays Golden State for the remainder of this playoff should know that you can get under Kevin Durant's skin. If you can get him to focus in on that instead of actually trying to play to his capability and focus on the fact that he's distracted and not really thinking about what he's doing the whole time. If you can get him disengaged long enough and get him to spar with you verbally or whatever the case is, he's already got a couple of technicals in the playoffs. If you get him enough technicals, he can get himself suspended. No, I th- I, I think, yeah, like, that's the other thing, right? Like, as long as the teams are watching, you know, I don't think LA is going to win the series, but they may well show people the blueprint of how to beat Golden State. I think from LA Clippers standpoint, I think it's a moral victory if they can get some more, te- some more, um, some more texts on uh, on Kevin Durant. I think that's Patrick Beverly's goal. To be honest with you, I think he'd love to see him get booted out of a couple more games, whether they win or lose. I think yeah. if if they manage that, and then in the next round the other team gets him over, because I think it's, I think it's seven texts gets you a game suspension. Sure, I don't I don't actually know for. I think fact. it's something along those lines. You know, someone can certainly correct me on the exact number, but I know there's. If you get a certain amount of technical fouls, then you will, then you get suspended for a game. And if they can get them up to that threshold, and then in round two, some another team, whoever they play, basically gets them over the threshold, that's a win. That that's you basically neutralize the player by just getting them off the court. Yeah. And already in one of the games, he got himself fouled out. So the thing is, Kevin Durant in his, Kevin Durant is kind of a consensus top player, and he. He vies for being the top player in the NBA, but you know the, the old cliche works here. The best ability is availability, and if the other team can get you out of the game, it's it's not unlike uh, hockey where you pick a fight with the other team's best player. Yeah, you go to the penalty box for five minutes, but the other team's best player is also in the penalty box for five minutes. That's a win. Yeah, for sure. Like you've done what you needed. To. The LA Clippers can live without Patrick Beverly, but if he can get Kevin Durant kicked out with him, that that's a net gain for that team. That's one less weapon they have to worry about. Yeah, for sure. So that's that series in itself, from a psychological perspective, is interesting. I fully expect the Clippers to lose to Golden State because Golden State is simply too good. But the question is going to be, can the Clippers do enough to disrupt what Golden State is trying to do and maybe plant the seeds for them to get messed up in round two or round three? That's really what it's going to come down to for that one. Yeah. As far as uh, as far as the rest of the bracket... Really, I'm looking at Houston. I think I feel like this is a great opportunity for Houston to go to that next level and go over to the hump to get to the NBA Finals. I put my money where my mouth was as far as that's concerned. Overall, I'm not going to try to predict all these series because I simply don't feel like I know enough. But I know that with Golden State not looking as good as they have in the past, trying to do a three-peat, which is a lot of playoff games, and they could be very well fatigued mentally and physically from that. I love the possibility of Houston going in and taking advantage of this out of the West and getting to the NBA Finals and possibly winning. Well, and Carlos, if go- you look at that, since we'll go there, I don't know if you can see that. There's my uh, pick for who's going to win the West. Yep. Which says Houston. And then I have them playing Milwaukee in the final, and I have Houston winning the whole thing. I think that would be an exciting final. 
I think that'd be very interesting for the NBA because it cre- because it creates the possible. I think people would be interested because Giannis getting to the final would be huge for his career and huge for taking him to that next leap. And then Houston getting there and winning would validate James Harden's last couple of years and, you know, the performances. And it also gets us Golden State off our radar screen for a season. Even if they come back later and are still able to perform at a high level, it's just more interesting when we've got a little bit of parity, just having another team in there that can actually win the thing. For sure. And I mean, obviously, as a Raptors fan, I would love for the Raptors to win the whole thing. I just think Milwaukee's a better team. And, and I think, but I don't think necessarily either team is good enough to to beat a Houston or a Golden State in a seven-game series. That's fair. And uh, so, what it really comes down to, I think, from my perspective, and the reason why I said that, now, like I said, I put my money where my mouth was as far as Houston is concerned. I got them at, uh, I think it was 14-1, uh, to 1, so to win the whole thing. So That's a great odds. Yeah, so I, I have no complaints there. The reality is, if it hits, awesome. If it doesn't, that's fine. But, you know, I took them at the beginning of the playoffs before they had even played a single playoff game. 14-1 to 1 odds, I love that because I think Houston has a very good chance of being there at the end as far as the West is concerned. If they get to the NBA Finals, I love their chances against almost any matchup they could have out of the East. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, that James Harden X-Factor is, is you can't really discredit that. Plus, you know, with Chris Paul as well. I mean, they've got... They've got good players. Absolutely. And I think coming close the last couple of years, I think they're about as motivated as they can be. And they, I think they, the teams in the West have to know. It's the same as what happened in the East without LeBron there. These teams have to sense that the time is now to strike. If you're going to go get over the hump and actually get there and maybe potentially win the title, this is your window. This is your opportunity. It's not unlike, and it's funny because we talk about Houston here, right? It's funny because we're basically talking about the same thing that happened in the 90s between the two Bulls three-peats. During that period where Michael Jordan went away to play baseball, Yeah, there was a two-year window where the Houston Rockets won two NBA championships. So you had, you had Chicago winning three straight, then Houston winning two, and then Chicago winning three straight. Houston never got back to the NBA Finals anywhere in that window outside of that two-year span where they, were, they had the opportunity. They seized the opportunity and took two NBA titles right in the middle of that span. Right, and, and same thing, like you said, like the bronze not in the playoffs now. That's right. And so the East is, and he's not in the East, so East is wide open. I mean, I like Milwaukee, but it's not inconceivable that a that a Toronto or maybe even a Boston uh, could potentially win the East. It's not, you know. And with the West, you know, yes, you have Golden State, but as you had pointed out, there's a lot of miles on those legs in terms of amount of playoff games they've played. So if you're a team like Houston you've got a sense that you have a great opportunity right now. Yeah. And I think it's underplayed a lot how important it is to capitalize on these windows. We've already talked about, you know, the blue Jays of 2015, 2016 in past podcasts, there's opportunities there. If you get there and you have the opportunity to win and the, the thing, the chips fall your way, you have to go all in and take advantage of that situation because there's no, no, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, we'll see. It's early in the baseball season, for example, but Red Sox won it all last year. And right now they're playing like one of the worst teams in the league. Yes. You know, it's early still, but you never know. Absolutely. So the reason why I say, though, as well, is that you want to take advantage of these windows is that one thing changing can have a huge downstream impact. So talking about the NBA playoffs, let's use the other scenario that we just talked about a second ago. If the Raptors capitalize on this, they get to the Eastern Conference Finals. They actually win and get to the NBA Finals. If they get to the NBA Finals, 
what does that do for the likelihood that they can talk Kawhi into sticking around? Well, exactly, right? They, they, you have I mean, a compelling argument. You can maybe say, not, but their chances are a hell of a lot better. Yeah, you can you can make the argument. They go, hey, man, look, this team got to the NBA Finals with you. We can build around you, and we're, we've already got the components. If you wanted to go to L.A. or you wanted to go to wherever, yeah, there's a good chance that, you know, they can win with you or – but you are, you've already been on an NBA NBA Finals you know Finals team. If you're already like maybe one or two pieces away, do you want to walk away from that and the potential that that creates for you? Or exactly. it's maybe or maybe the world goes crazy and goes upside down. You get to the NBA Finals and you actually win. You're going to walk away from that. And I, I mean, I think it may actually be easier to walk away from a, a Finals winning team because at least you have the trophy now. It is true, but at the same time, if you want to close. potentially win more trophies you're already on a team that was able to put the pieces together. It's no guarantee. That's why the Kevin Durant thing in the in Golden State is interesting because if he walks away, regardless of the outcome, if they win the NBA championship and that's his third straight championship and he walks away to go, like, say, the New York Knicks because that's what people talk about. If he goes to the New York Knicks, they make the playoffs and they get bounced in the first round. What what does Kevin, Dur- what does Kevin Durant look like? Well, he look like someone who just to chase the money. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like Kevin Durant has been trying. Kevin Durant, whether he wants to accept it or not, has been trying, you know, at least in his actions. He's trying to chase this idea that he's the best player in the league. And he's got arguments in his favor. But the reason why people discredit Kevin Durant is not because he's not a good player. It's because when he was in Oklahoma City and he had a chance to potentially go into that next level, he ditched that team to go play for a team that was already stacked. And then you win two NBA championships. You get two finals MVPs. You're quote-unquote the best player on that team. But the truth is, the rest of the players on that team sacrificed to give you every opportunity to win. They helped you to get there because they were willing to play with you to maximize your capabilities. And then as a team, you were able to do it. Yeah. But the truth is, the Golden State Warriors would still be a good team if they retained all their pieces except Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant goes to New York and all of a sudden he's barely a playoff, uh, you know, he barely shows up in the playoffs and they get bounced in the first round. Again, the narrative opens up. It's like, well, were you really that good? Because in Oklahoma City, you couldn't get it done. And then in New York, you can't get it done. But in Golden State, with a bunch of these, with a stacked team, all of a sudden you can get it done. Well, congratulations. Yeah, exactly. You don't get as much credit for it. The reality is the history will not look kindly upon that is basically the point that I'm trying to make. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. And I, and I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So that so if, you're, if, if a lot of these players are thinking about quote-unquote legacy, the optics will always play into it. Yes, you can get the money. If you're Kevin Durant, there's no lack of ways you can make money. You can do business. You can do a better shoe deal. You can do all that. And winning championships means a better shoe deal. It means uh, these you know, various endorsement opportunities. Money is, there's, there's various avenues to get to money, especially in the social media age. Giannis, if he really wants to just make money, yeah, in theory, you could leave Milwaukee. But if you own Milwaukee and you're a god in Milwaukee, that means that local market is going to love you. They're going to embrace you. But you can still be a national player. If that team's good and that team gets to the NBA Finals, people will pay attention to Milwaukee. Exactly. Social media can make it to Milwaukee. They'll find you. It's not a big deal. It hasn't hurt the Packers when they're good. People know who the Green Bay Packers are. They get Monday night football games. They get Sunday night football games. It doesn't matter where you are anymore as long as we have television cameras and internet. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind for a lot of these players. It's Guys, if you want to live somewhere cool, that makes sense. LA, LA is a nice place. The weather's beautiful, but you can buy a house in LA and play wherever and make your money. Any other uh, things you want to throw in there about the NBA playoffs? No, I think I'm good. I want to hear your thoughts on Tiger Woods winning the Masters, though. Yes, let's talk about this. So last weekend, Tiger Woods won 
the Masters at Augusta uh, for his fifth green jacket and 15th overall major championship. So a couple of things, uh, a couple of takeaways from this. Let me give you a quick little quick background and then I'll kind of explain the context for me. And then uh, and then I'll get any thoughts you have, Dave, on that. Here's the short version. When Tiger Woods was on the ascend. So I saw the 1997 Masters Championship where he won by a record margin that kind of put him on the map. You saw that this guy was ascending. You saw that he was playing well. The 97 Masters really put an exclamation point on him and got him out there. And then you saw the dominance through the late 90s and the 2000s. And you saw how it changed the way the golf was perceived. I was one of those guys where I was paying attention because I like golf anyway. Watching golf is fine. Depends on whether the whether it's compelling. Golf, as much as any other sport, and if you want to call it a game instead of a sport, that's fine. That's okay. One point that you can make is that Tiger was really introduced. While there were guys out there that did work out and did treat themselves as athletes playing the sport, you didn't have to be an athlete to play that sport that way. You know, the Bartolo Colon physique that we enjoy uh, talking about from time to time, that was standard for certain golfers. You know, John Daly is not a physical specimen. You know, there were a lot of players like that. And to hit the ball long, you didn't have to look like a, like a Greek god. That wasn't necessary. But Tiger Woods introduced the idea that, hey, yes, you don't have to. But if you're willing to go to the gym and work out and do what you need to do, condition yourself, eat right, do all these things, treat yourself like an athlete, it can allow you to do these things with a consistency that a lot of these other players can't do. It'll give you the stamina. It'll give you the power. It'll give you all these things. So as Tiger was ascending, I was one of those guys that rooted against him, not because I didn't like Tiger Woods, but because the narrative and the storyline was more interesting. When you have a dominant player, it's fun to root against them because when somebody else actually manages to beat them, it adds it's it's more special. So when Retief Goosen won two U.S. Opens, when Ernie Els won a major championship, when David Toms randomly won a PGA championship, when these guys who were excellent players otherwise actually managed to win major titles during that Tiger era, it was extra special. It was an exclamation point on it because it was so hard given that Tiger was winning so many of those tournaments. And then when the injuries started piling up, obviously he had his personal issues where he cheated on his wife and all that. I don't really care about his personal issues. They don't interest me because they really had no impact on the on the sports part of it. But the injuries did. The injuries, that are, the way he did his swing and the fact that he rebuilt his swing several times and his training methods led to a plethora of injuries nobody would have expected because i remember the 2005 masters i watched that i remember the 2008 u.s open which before this was the last time he won a major championship and he had a broken leg basically which was extremely impressive but nobody knew at the time that he would go 11 years before winning another major championship at that time he had won 14 major championships and it seemed a foregone conclusion you have to remember tiger woods at that time was 32 years old it was pretty much automatic that he was going to pass Jack Nicholas for 18 majors. 11 years later, he's got one more, and he's at 15 at age 42 or 43. That's crazy if you think about it. So when we get to the Masters Championship this year, he had played well in a couple of the majors leading up to the end of last year, and he actually won a tournament last year for the first time in four or five years. So he seemed to be on the upswing. The Masters was the perfect place for him to actually win because the truth is, being a, a four-time Masters champion leading into it, now a five-time, and all those years that he's been playing, his first Master win in 1997, now we're 22 years later, he's played a lot of rounds at Augusta National. He knows that course, and those patrons that are there at Augusta embrace Tiger Woods. So he was going to have kind of the home field advantage on that one since they play at the same course every year. 
So Augusta National is special in that way when you're talking about the Masters and CBS and all that. So the mystique was there, but it was the perfect place for him to potentially win another major because he knew the course inside and out, even with the changes they've made over the years. And he knew how to play the right amount of aggression and conservatism in the final round. And that's what he ended up doing. He ended up playing almost the perfect game plan. But one thing in the euphoria that came after. So I was happy for Tiger Woods winning the tournament, not because it's like, oh, the redemption story. That's not, It's a nice storyline. For me, it brings back the possibility that he can actually pass Jack Nicholas. That storyline is compelling. Now that he's no longer a dominant player, and I don't think he's going to be a dominant player ever again. I think that time is done. I think he's a very good player who can win more majors. It's not a foregone conclusion anymore, though. Now, time is no longer on your side. The advantage is that in golf, your window is much longer. If he can stay healthy, he can play in a lot more majors and potentially compete and maybe win a couple more. But the truth is, it's not a foregone conclusion anymore. Maybe he wins one more and stalls out at 16. But that's a Hall of Fame career. It doesn't matter. He, he's, he's been in the Hall of Fame years ago. He settled that, that conversation. And if he's not the greatest golfer of all time, then he's in the top two or three. But the impact of Tiger Woods is almost forgotten in that 11 years with all the stuff that happened with his personal life and his injuries and everything. People forgot. Before Tiger Woods got there, the last time that golf had a, a series of trading cards was 1991 Pro Set. You can go look that up and check it out. It's a very different era. After Tiger Woods got there and ascended, Upper Deck started making golf cards. Who would collect golf cards? Well, you would if there was a Tiger Woods rookie card that you could get. All of a sudden, that was a thing. EA Sports didn't make PGA Tour Golf. They made Tiger Woods PGA Tour Golf. And that became a series that they produced for years. All those things came into play. And right now, when you win a, when you win a tournament in the PGA, almost every tournament, the winning purse is over a million dollars. That's because of Tiger Woods. Eyeballs were on the screen when Tiger Woods was in contention at Augusta. And when he won, there were eyeballs on the screen. And this year's, uh, this year's tournament was extra... I won't say special because that's not the right word, but it, w- it worked out really well because of the weather problems that they had going into Sunday. They, they decided to tee off early and they got and they did threesomes, three players on each side. And they started from the from the first tee and the 10th tee so that we were able to see the, the final putt to end the tournament before three o'clock Eastern time. So you could actually just sit there for a morning and an early afternoon and watch it and then be able to go watch other things. It was almost a perfect TV viewing experience. And CBS knows how to do the Masters. They've done it for over 50 years. That right there is a television viewing experience. It's great. All the pieces came together. Plus, we had the social media era, so everybody could go on Twitter and keep up on the updates. It was the perfect storm to make for a great story. So that's kind of the background. I wanted to give my background with kind of golf and how I think about it. I am going to be interested going forward watching these major championships to see if Tiger Woods can. Coming up this year, I'll give you a couple of pieces of information here that you may have already heard by now. The PGA Championship this year in May is going to be at Beth Page Black, where he previously won a U.S. Open. That's going to be a po- that's a possibility. I don't know if I consider Beth Page Black is going to be interesting in the sense that it's a difficult golf course, but for the PGA Championship, it's not going to be up to U.S. Open standard. But it's going to be interesting to see. He does have some familiarity with it. I think the more interesting one is that the U.S. Open this year is going to be played at Pebble Beach which is the site of where he won a previous U.S. Open, and he won that one by 15 strokes. The one thing I can tell you is that he's not going to dominate a field like that anymore. That Masters Championship that he won this year was because he had all that experience. He was able to take advantage of a good game plan. But let's make it clear. The leaderboard he beat in this Masters Championship is full of other players who have won major championships, 
And while they may have been possibly intimidated or surprised by the reaction the Tiger Woods got, in another major, they will stare him down. And if he doesn't make the shots and make the putts, they will beat him. They're not intimidated in the way that the players of Tiger Woods' heyday were because that's not the same Tiger Woods. This is another version. He's still able to compete in those championships, but nobody's going to roll over for him. He's going to have to take it and earn it. But congratulations to him just the same because it was a it was a very compelling viewing experience. Yeah. So, I, I mean, a lot in there to break down. Um, you know, first of all, congratulations to Tiger Woods. Um, one of the things that you had me thinking about, how do you know off the hand how old Jack Nicklaus was when he won his last major? 46. It was the 1986 okay. Masters. And Tiger is 41 or 42? 42 or 43. I can get the exact number for you. Okay. But so... There's that, I think that age factor that potentially plays in there. But I also think you're right. Like the fact that it's Augusta and the Masters is always in the same place, whereas as the other uh, three majors aren't. Uh, and I would say probably the least likely one for him to win is the British Open, uh, just because of where it's played and, and the courses and that kind of thing. I will say but one thing about that this year. This year, I think, from what I understand, I don't have the name in front of me, but this year the the Open Championship is being played on a course they've never played at before. So it's kind of a neutral, it's kind of a, a net neutral for everybody because they've never used this course for the Open Championship, which is actually kind of interesting because they've play, been playing that championship for a long time. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like you said, like he knows Augusta. He's obviously very comfortable with it. The, the people who go to watch that tournament, you know, are, are big on Tiger Woods. And I feel like this, from all the press coverage and everything that I've been hearing, is that it's, you know, if he was going to win a master, another major, it was going to be the Masters, which he may very well win again, too. But also that this is sort of the arc of what America loves is a redemption story, right? In, in a way where you have... You know, somebody who, you know, the personal life issues happened, the injuries happened, and it really went off the rails, and it was just garbage for a while. And then he's slowly been rebuilding himself, and, you know, the fact that he's been able to work back to where he can win a major, and did win a major, you know, that's something that the American public and the American media absolutely love. So I think, you know, overall, like, I think it's it's a very compelling sports story. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see if, if now, you know, where he's probably still got a few years where he's very capable of winning another, another master or sorry, another masters or another major. Uh, if he's able to win, you know, an, another three or four, is it, is it likely? Probably not, but it's definitely still, but it's definitely back in the realm of possibility. I would say. Absolutely. I agree with that. And what it really comes down to is that, um, when you when you're looking at it, you kind of have to take Tiger Woods' career into context because this is the this is not necessarily the last chapter, but this is you know we're reaching the the later chapters of his career in golf. You the the oldest major champion in in record is was 48 years old, so the window you know there is a window there. I don't know if his back can hold up for that much longer. That's why this year is kind of interesting in that. Having some of these courses that he is familiar with this year, give him a couple of opportunities this year in particular. If he can get a second this year, that's 16. And then it makes things interesting going into next year because it, because the Masters will always be one where he's at least got a shot as long as he can stay healthy enough to play with that familiarity. That that always gives him a chance because he is familiar with that course. And, you know, the, the, the fans are going to be very supportive of him from that standpoint. So it's just a matter of keeping the focus which he managed to do in this year's Masters. 
The other aspect of it, and this is uh, one that hasn't been played up enough to me, he's one win short of having the PGA Tour record. So right now he is one behind Sam Snead, who had 82 PGA Tour wins. He's got 81. Wow. That's okay. a record he can pass. Absolutely it is. So, and that and would I, be... I, quite frankly, I think he probably will. Yeah, and that would be historic regardless. So, like, even if he doesn't get to 18 or 19 majors, getting to 83 or 84 wins and winning maybe another major, that's an exclamation point on this, on you know, on his career. Whether he decides to go play on the Champions Tour when he turns 50, well, the thing is he's got another seven years. So he is 43. So he's got another seven years before he has to worry about the Champions Tour. But he can go play on the Champions Tour and win some tournaments there too. It really is a matter of how long he wants to play. And, and the other thing is, I mean, he's allowed to play in the Masters. Uh, he may, you know, even if he's not making the cut necessarily or being able to play and qualify for the U.S. Open or the Open Championship or the PGA Tour Championship, he's won the Masters. So by doing that, I mean, he's already previously won it, but he's entitled to play that tournament every year now. It was exactly right. So a lot of these tournaments, by winning the Masters, it's opened up his exemption for years on a lot of the majors. Also being a former champion in a lot of these major championships gives him a lot of leeway with that. So he can keep playing. And the thing is, because he won last year a tournament, his PGA Tour eligibility is good for basically the rest of the decade, effectively. And for major championships, he, he, can, get, he can get in there. And as far as the Masters is concerned, they can invite him. And as a former champion, like, they're basically going to let him play for life. Yeah, I mean, look, like Mike Weir played in this New Year's Masters. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, look at what happened. Not knocking Mike Weir, but, I mean... You know, where's his career gone? Really? Nowhere, right? Like, I mean, he had those few good years, the one year where he won the Masters, but he was invited back this year. Yeah. As a former champion, I think the Ma the Masters is really big on this tradition thing. And when it comes to that, they want all their former champions to be around as much as possible. They will, they will consistently invite them. Even if they can't play, they'll say, well, you know, come, participate. Uh, be at the champion's dinner. Let's, uh, we'll celebrate you even one way or another. And that's it's kind of a cool perk. If you win the Masters, you're in the fraternity. As far as they're concerned, you're you're welcome back anytime you want, which is kind of a yeah. good thing for for these players who maybe that's their one shot at glory and they get it and hey, as long as you're alive, come on over. Join And I think it adds to the mystique of that tournament as well. That it's always in the same place, that it's got this tradition. There's, you know, the green jacket like all of that, you combine, and I would I would argue that it may have the most mystique of any golf tournament, for sure. And that, and that's what's allowed it to gather its prestige because the the Open Championships an older championship, the U.S. Open is an older championship, the PGA Tour the PGA Championship is a little bit is probably the newest of the bunch, but you know that's been around for a while as well. So all of the major championships in in the PGA Tour have now long histories, all of them. Uh, but the Masters has, has carved this niche. In April, people know that this is the week of the Masters. And the fact that CBS has been covering it for years, and now you can watch it. Uh, TSN did a really cool thing. I don't know if you heard about it. TSN did like a multi-screen thing within the uh, website where they could show you the coverage, but then you could switch to selected groups or you could switch to okay. different things. So, so were, you, were you living the hashtag multi-screen life, Carl? I was living the hashtag multi-screen life for the Masters alone. This is a beautiful thing. It, it was really good. I should have taken a screenshot of it. You would have appreciated it. But you, yeah, you that, why is that on Instagram? Th no, that's what I mean. I didn't take a screenshot. But it was, it was oh, kind of a Carlos. cool feature that you could switch between these different views and be able to watch it that way. But this is the one tournament that gets that treatment. Yeah. Because of the way it's regarded. 
So that, there's a lot. There's a lot. There was a lot to unpack there, but it's there was a lot to think about. At the end of the day, just bear in mind that whatever happens here, it was a good story for this week. It will be interesting going forward. Now we now obviously we move on until the next major championship, and then when we get to the next major championship, we'll be able to look at it again and go, what are the chances? Who knows? But I, I like the fact that there's all these young players. But the reality is, and that's why I said mentioned it. There's no guarantees. Don't take it for granted that there's going to be more. There may or may not be. But be aware that a lot of these players who are coming up now who are dominating the majors today are players who were inspired by Tiger Woods back then, and now they're all in the gym. So he, he even addressed this in his post-win interview. He goes, it used to be me, he, he was saying, it used to be me and Vijay Singh, who is the guy who right now is the poster child for success after 40 in the majors. Because Vijay won a bunch of major championships after the age of 40 because of his conditioning and because he dedicated himself to that. So Tiger is going to try to continue down that path because that's his best chance. But now there's these young guys, they can hit a pass him. So he's not going to be, he doesn't have the power advantage. He's going to have to be smart. He's going to have to use that, that experience and that savvy. At the Masters, it works. At the U.S. Open, it might work, but that's going to be tough. PGA Championship, sure. The Open Championship, it depends on the course. Some of them are better suited to his game. So now he's going to have to be that savvy veteran. That's his best chance to win a couple more. And there is our Masters coverage. There you go. Well, you know, we made up for lost time. We probably should have mentioned something about it last week. And I feel really bad for that because I am into golf. So yeah. it completely slipped my mind. And then I put it on the TV and I'm like, I am truly an idiot. But, you know, we owned it. We gave it, I think, due coverage this week, which is good. So we can move into, I think, what we're uh, looking forward to this week. Carlos, you want to start us off this time? Sure. So what I'm looking forward to this week, obviously, I'm going to be watching, obviously, a lot of the NHL playoffs. We're going to be keeping an eye on that because I really want to see how these first round matchups close out. I am going to watch a little bit more of the NBA uh, of the NBA playoffs as well. I want to see kind of the fate of the Raptors and, you know, a couple of these other teams. I'm going to hit up the multi-screen life for that. So that'll be happening. And then, of course, Dave, as we discussed earlier, I think we're all looking forward to watching the Antonio Brown YouTube channel. Ah, yes, the Antonio Brown YouTube channel. I am going to make a video as a as a UN pod extra. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but all you need to know, I'll put I'll try to put a link in the into description or in the show notes here. There is an Antonio Brown YouTube channel. It is glorious in its I want to say simplicity, but what I really want to say is in its tone deafness. I'm not sure again if Antonio Brown knows how to accomplish what I think he's trying to accomplish, but I'll break that down a little bit more in the video. I'll talk about it a little more, and if something comes of it, then we'll we'll talk about it more on the podcast. But that that was hilarious. But NBA, definitely, playoffs. NHL playoffs, for sure. I am going to be still be watching a little bit of baseball, but I'm going to focus mainly on those first two. That's going to be where my main focus is going to be this week and what I'm looking forward to. Sounds solid. Uh, for me, yeah, I mean, I don't know when I'm going to return to watching TV based on the concussion protocol, but uh, things that I would be looking forward to uh, is, again, the, just basically the continuation of the NBA and the NHL playoffs. That was good. Um, one of the things I wish I'd mentioned last week was the return of Yasiel Puig to L.A. Uh, so he and it also happened to be the return from injury for Clayton Kershaw. And Yasuo Puig hit a two-run home run in his first at-bat in that series. Although he's been having a terrible year so far. Uh, but that was interesting. I know, obviously, that was passed. Uh, so, on a baseball level, it is potential that uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets called up this week. That's possible. And so, if that happens, then I would say I was, I'm was i looking forward to that. 
But otherwise, it's just a continuation of the NBA and the NHL playoffs. Well, given that you're a big radio guy, why don't you try to see if there's some NBA on radio? Yeah, maybe. I I have listened to a, a couple of baseball games, but again, I'm still trying to keep the tune out everything if possible to some degree. But yeah, um, I should because, you know, it's just that I find like baseball is a sport that's almost made for radio, whereas, you know, NHL and NBA, it's not quite the same. Well, I'm trying to envision, like, I, I'm sure I have heard a broadcast, but I'm trying to envision what the NBA would be like. And he, you know, he dribbles to the key and then he shoots. I, I would love for them to be like the most vague thing in the world to be completely unhelpful for a person who's like, I can't see it. Describe it to me. Yeah, that's not too bad. I mean, I listen I listen to the, the Raptors broadcast on the radio from time to time, especially when I'm when I'm driving. And, you know, it's it's you can follow it fairly well. But the but the thing is, you know, the it the one thing that's hard to keep track of is the score because it changes so quickly and so often. That's true. Yeah, I think basically what they want you to do because it isn't the protocol for you to basically avoid uh, a lot of sensory. It's basically yes. the equivalent of a. It's basically the equivalent of what you do with a migraine. Yeah, pretty much. Only you light do it for and a loud sounds and stuff like that. Yeah. So Dave will be possibly listening to some radio, most likely from uh, from a dungeon somewhere. So that'll be exciting. Anything else then you're looking forward to, or it's going to be a little bit of that? No, that's that, That's what it is for now. I'll throw in some shameless plugs here at the end, just for anybody. We appreciate you listening, as always. So be aware that we are on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we're on Instagram, at Unnecessary Podcast, Twitter, at Unnecessary underscore pod. Our site is unnecessarypod.podbean.com. There may be a real website in the works at some point. I'm going to see what happens. I'd like to have something that would be useful beyond what the Podbean site does. But right now, the Podbean site gets the job done. The reality is it's got the podcast on it. You can download them or you can play them straight out of the player. It gives you some options in different ways of being able. And you can also share, which we would appreciate if you did. If you enjoy the podcast and would like and think that somebody else might enjoy it, feel free to share it with them. If you are listening and watching the static image of us on YouTube, where you can find us at Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, you can just type that in and you'll find us. If you're there, feel free to leave a comment because we're more than happy to reply to anything you have or you know, leave any comments anywhere else where it's available. We'd appreciate that. So that'll be it for us from this week of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, and we will catch you next time.